Chapter 7, Part 2 of The Black Box by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Unseen Terror, Part 2. The professor swung round in his chair and greeted Quest with some surprise, but also a little disappointment. No news of Craig, he asked. Quest sank into a chair. He was fresh from the Turkish baths and was enjoying the luxury of clean linen and the flavor of an excellent cigar. I got Craig all right, he replied. He came to the servants' club where I was waiting for him. My luck's out, though. The place was burnt to the ground last night. I saved his life, and then the brute gave me away to the police. I had to make my escape as best I could. The professor tapped the table peevishly. This is insufferable, he declared. I've had no shaving water. My coffee was undrinkable. I can find nothing. I have a most important lecture to prepare, and I cannot find any of the notes I made upon the subject. Quest stared at the professor for a moment and then laughed softly. Well, he remarked, you are rather an egoist, professor, aren't you? Perhaps I am, the latter confessed. Still, you must remember that the scientific world, on those few occasions when I do appear in public, expects much of me. My sense of proportion may perhaps be disarranged by this knowledge. All that I can realize at the present moment is this. You seem to have frightened away the one man in the world who is indispensable to me. Quest smoked in silence for a moment. Any mail for me, Professor? he asked abruptly. The professor opened a drawer and handed him a telegram. Only this. Quest opened it and read it through. It was from the sheriff of a small town in Connecticut. The men you inquired for are both here. They have sold an automobile and seem to be spending their proceeds. Shall I arrest? Quest studied the message for a moment. "'Say, this is rather interesting, Professor,' he remarked. "'Really?' the latter replied tartly. "'You must forgive me if I cannot follow the complications of your—pardon me for saying—Muchausen-like affairs. How does the arrest of these two men help you?' "'Don't you see?' Quest explained. "'These are the two thugs who set upon me at the section house.' They killed the signalman, who could have been my alibi, and swiped my car, in which, as it cannot be found, French supposes that I return to New York. With their arrest, the case against me collapses. I tell you frankly, Professor, Quest continued, frowning, I hate to leave the city without having found that girl. But I am not sure that the quickest way to set things right would not be to go down. Arrest these men and bring them back here, clear myself, and then go tooth and nail for Craig. I agree with you most heartily, the professor declared. I recommend any course which will ensure the return of my man Craig. I cannot promise you that you'll ever have Craig here again, Quest observed grimly. I rather fancy Sing Sing will be his next home. Don't be foolish, Mr. Quest, the professor advised. 
Don't let me lose confidence in you. Craig would not hurt a fly. And as to abducting your assistant, if my sense of humor were developed upon normal lines, well, I should laugh. What you have really done, you and that young lady assistant of yours, is to terrify the poor fellow into such a state of nerves that he scarcely knows what he is doing. As a matter of fact, how do you know that, that the young woman has been abducted at all? Such things are most unlikely, especially in this part of the city. What reason do you suggest, then, for her disappearance? Quest inquired. At my age, the professor replied dryly, I naturally know nothing of these things. But she is a young woman of considerable personal attractions. I should think it not unlikely that she is engaged in some amorous adventure. Quest laughed derisively. You do not know Laura, Mr. Ashley, he remarked. However, if it interests you, I will tell you why I know she has been abducted. Only a few hours ago I was talking to her. The professor turned his head swiftly towards Quest. There was a queer sort of surprise in his face. Talking to her? Quest nodded. Our pocket wireless, he explained. Lenora has even described to me the room in which she is hidden. And the neighborhood also? the professor demanded. Of that she knows nothing, Quest replied. She is in a room apparently at the top of a house, and the only window is in the roof. She can see nothing, hear nothing. When I get hold of that man who put her there, Quest continued slowly, it will be my ambition to supplement personally any punishment the law may be able to inflict. The professor's manner had lost all its petulance. He looked at Quest almost with admiration. That idea of yours is wonderful, he confessed. I am beginning to believe in your infallibility, Mr. Quest. I am beginning to believe that on this occasion, at any rate, you will triumph over your enemies. Quest rose to his feet. Well, he said, if I can keep out of my friend French's way for a few hours longer, I think I can promise you that I shall be a free man when I return from Bethel. I'm off now, Professor. Wish me good luck. My friend, the Professor replied, I wish you the best of luck, but more than anything else in the world, he added, a little peevishly, I hope you may bring me back my servant, Craig, and leave us both in peace. Quest stepped off the cars at Bethel a little before noon that morning. The sheriff met him at the depot and greeted him cordially, but with obvious surprise. "'Say, Mr. Quest,' he exclaimed, as they turned away, "'I know these men are wanted on your charge, but I thought, you'll excuse my saying so, that you are in some trouble yourself.' Quest nodded. "'I'm out of that. Came out yesterday.' "'Very glad to hear it,' the sheriff assured him heartily. "'I never thought that they'd be able to hold you.' "'They hadn't a chance,' Quest admitted. "'Things turned out a little awkwardly at first, "'but this affair is going to put me on my feet again. "'The moment my car is identified "'and Red Gallagher and his mates arrested, "'every scrap of evidence against me goes. "'Well, here's the garage and the man who bought the car.' the sheriff remarked, 
and there's the car itself in the road. It's for you to say whether it can be identified. Quest drew a sigh of relief. That's mine right enough, he declared. Now for the men. Say, I want to tell you something, the sheriff began dubiously. These two are real thugs. They ain't going to take it lying down. Where are they? Quest demanded. In the worst saloon here, the sheriff replied. They've been there pretty well all night, drinking, and they're there again this morning, hard at it. They've both got firearms, and though I ain't exactly a nervous man, Mr. Quest... Leave it to me, Quest interrupted. This is my job, and I want to take the men myself. You'll never do it, the sheriff declared. Look here, Quest explained. If I let you and your men go in, there will be a free fight, and as likely as not, you will kill one, if not both, of the men. I want them alive. Well, it's your show, the sheriff admitted, stopping before a disreputable-looking building. This is the saloon. They've turned the place upside down since they've been here. You can hear the row they're making now. Free drinks to all the toughs in the town. They're pouring the stuff down all the time. Well, Quest decided, I'm going in, and I'm going in unarmed. You can bring your men in later, if I call for help, or if you hear any shooting. You're asking for trouble, the sheriff warned him. I've got to do this my own way, Quest insisted. Stand by now. He pushed open the door of the saloon. There were a dozen men drinking around the bar, and in the center of them, Red Gallagher and his mate. They seemed to be all shouting together, and the air was thick with tobacco smoke. Quest walked right up to the two men. Gallagher, he said, you are my prisoner. Are you coming quietly? Gallagher's mate, who was half drunk, swung round and fired a wild shot in Quest's direction. The result was a general stampede. Red Gallagher, alone, remained motionless. Grim and dangerously silent, he held a pistol within a few inches of Quest's forehead. "'If my number's up,' he exclaimed ferociously, "'it won't be you who'll take me.' "'I think it will,' Quest answered. "'Put that gun away.' Gallagher hesitated. Quest's influence over him was indomitable. "'Put it away,' Quest repeated firmly. "'You know you daren't use it. "'Your account's pretty full up as it is.' Gallagher's hand wavered. From outside came the shouts of the sheriff and his men, struggling to fight their way in through the little crowd who were rushing for safety. Suddenly Quest backed, jerked the pistol up with his right elbow, and, with almost the same movement, struck Red Gallagher under the jaw. The man went over with a crash. His mate, who had been staggering about, cursing viciously, fired another wild shot at Quest, who swayed and fell forward. "'I've done him!' the man shouted. "'Get up, Red. I've done him all right. Finish your drink. We'll get out of this.' He bent unsteadily over Quest. Suddenly, the latter sprang up seized him by the leg, and sent him sprawling. The gun fell from his hand. Quest picked it up 
and held it firmly out, covering both men. Gallagher was on his knees, groping for his own weapon. "'Get the handcuffs on them,' Quest directed the sheriff, who, with his men, had at last succeeded in forcing his way into the saloon. The sheriff wasted no words till the two thugs, now nerveless and cowed, were handcuffed. Then he turned to Quest. There was a note of genuine admiration in his tone. "'Mr. Quest,' he declared, "'you've got the biggest nerve of any man I've ever known.' The criminologist smiled. "'This sort of bully is always a coward when it comes to the pinch,' he remarked. Crouching in her chair, her pale, terror-stricken face supported between her hands, Lenora, her eyes filled with hopeless misery, gazed at the dumb instrument upon the table. Her last gleam of hope seemed to be passing. Her little friend was silent. Once more her weary fingers spelt out a final, despairing message. "'What has happened to you? I'm waiting to hear all the time. Has Craig told you where I am? I'm afraid.' There was still no reply. Her head sank a little lower onto her folded arms. Even the luxury of tears seemed denied her. Fear, the fear which dwelt with her day and night, had her in its grip. Suddenly she leaped, screaming from her place. Splinters of glass fell around her. Her first wild thought was of release. She gazed upward at the broken pane. Then, very faintly, from the street below, she heard the shout of a boy's angry voice. "'You've done it now, Jimmy. You're a fine pitcher, ain't you? Lost it. That's what you've gone and done. The thoughts formed themselves mechanically in her mind. Her eyes sought the ball, which had come crashing into the room. There was life once more in her pulses. She found a scrap of paper and pencil in her pocket. With trembling fingers, she wrote a few words. Police headquarters. I am Sanford Quest's assistant, abducted, and imprisoned here in the room where the ball has fallen. Help! I'm going mad. She twisted the paper, looked around the room vainly for string, and finally tore a thin piece of ribbon from her dress. She tied the message around the ball, set her teeth, and threw it at the empty skylight. The first time she was not successful, and the ball came back. The second time it passed through the center of the opening. She heard it strike the sound portion of the glass outside, heard it rumble down the roof. A few seconds of breathless silence. Her heart almost stopped beating. Had it rested in some ledge or fallen into the street below? Then she heard the boy's voice. Gee, here's the ball come back again. A new light shone into the room. She seemed to be breathing a different atmosphere, the atmosphere of hope. She listened no longer with horror for a creaking upon the stairs. She walked back and forth until she was exhausted. Curiously enough, when the end came she was asleep, crouched upon the bed and dreaming wildly. She sprang up to find Inspector French with a policeman behind him standing upon the threshold. Inspector, she cried, rushing towards him. Mr. French, oh, thank God. Her feelings carried her away. 
She threw herself at his feet. She was laughing and crying and talking incoherently all at the same time. The inspector assisted her to a chair. "'Say, what's all this mean?' he demanded. She told him her story incoherently in broken phrases. French listened with a puzzled frown. "'Say, what about Quest?' he asked. "'He ain't been here at all, then.' She looked at him wonderingly. "'Of course not, Mr. Quest.' She hesitated. The inspector laid his hand upon her wrist. Then he realized that she was on the point of a nervous breakdown and in no condition for interrogations. "'That'll do,' he said. "'I'll take care of you for a time, young lady.' and I'll ask you a few questions later on. My men are searching the house. You and I will be getting on if you can tear yourself away. She laughed hysterically and hurried him towards the door. As they passed down the gloomy stairs, she clung to his arm. The first breath of air seemed wonderful to her as they passed out into the street. It was freedom. The plainclothes man who was lounging in Quest's most comfortable easy chair and smoking one of his best cigars, suddenly laid down his paper. He moved to the window. A large empty automobile stood in the street outside, from which the occupants had presumably just descended. He hastened towards the door, which was opened, however, before he was halfway across the room. The cigar slipped from his fingers. It was Sanford Quest who stood there, followed by the Sheriff of Bethel, two country policemen, and Red Gallagher and his mate, heavily handcuffed. Quest glanced at the cigar. "'Say, do you mind picking that up?' he exclaimed. "'That carpet cost me money.' The plainclothes man obeyed at once. Then he edged a little towards the telephone. Quest had opened his cigar cabinet. "'Glad you left me one or two, he remarked dryly. "'Say, aren't you wanted down yonder, Mr. Quest?' the man inquired. "'That's all right now,' Quest told him. "'I'm ringing up Inspector French myself. "'You had better stand by the other fellows there "'and keep your eye on Red Gallagher and his mate.' "'I guess Mr. Quest is all right,' the sheriff intervened. "'We're ringing up headquarters ourselves anyway.' The plainclothesman did as he was told. Quest took up the receiver from his telephone instrument and arranged the photo tells me. Police station number one, central, he said. Through to Mr. French's office, if you please. Mr. Quest wants to speak to him. Yes, Sanford Quest. No need to get excited. All right, I'm through, am I? Hello, Inspector. A rare expression of joy suddenly transfigured Quest's face. He was gazing downward into the little mirror. "'You found Lenora, then, Inspector,' he exclaimed. "'Bully for you.' "'What do I mean? What I say? You forget that I am a scientific man, French. No end of appliances here you haven't had time to look at. I can see you sitting there, and Lenora and Laura looking as though you had them on the rack.' You can drop that, French. I've got Red Gallagher and his mate. Got them here with the Sheriff of Bethel. They went off with my auto and sold it. We got that. Also, in less than five minutes, my chauffeur will be here. 
He's been lying in a farmhouse, unconscious, since the scrap. He can tell you what time he saw me last. Bring the girls along, French, and hurry. Quest hung up the receiver. I've given Inspector French something to think about, he remarked as he turned away. Now, Mr. Sheriff, if you can make yourself at home for a quarter of an hour or so, French will be here and take these fellows off your hands. I've still a little more telephoning to do. You go right ahead, the sheriff acquiesced. Quest rang up the professor. His response to the call was a little languid, and his reception of the news of Quest's successful enterprise was almost querulous. My friend, the professor said, your news gratifies me, of course. Your rehabilitation, however, was a matter of certainty. With me, life has become a chaos. You can have no idea, with your independent nature, what it means to entirely rely upon the ministrations of one person, and to be suddenly deprived of their help. No news of Craig, then? Quest demanded. None at all, was the weary reply. What about your young lady assistant? She'll be here in five minutes, Quest told him. You had better come along and hear her story. It ought to interest you. Dear me, the professor exclaimed, I will certainly come, certainly. Quest set down the receiver and paced the room thoughtfully for a moment or two. Although his own troubles were almost over, the main problem before him was as yet unsolved. The affair with the Gallaghers was, after all, only an offshoot. It was the mystery of Lenora's abduction, the mystery of the black box, which still called for the exercise of all his ingenuity. Inspector French was as good, even better than his word. In a surprisingly short time he entered the room, followed by Laura and Lenora. Quest gave them a hand each, but it was into Lenora's eyes that he looked. Her coming, her few words of greeting, timid though they were, brought him an immense sense of relief. "'Well, girls,' he said, "'both full of adventures, huh? "'What did they do with you in the tombs, Laura?' "'Shaw, what could they do?' Laura replied. "'If there are guys enough to be tricked by a girl, "'the best thing they can do is to keep mum about it and let her go. "'That's about what they did to me.' Inspector French, who was standing a little aloof, regarded Laura with an air of unwilling admiration. "'That's some girl, that Miss Laura,' he muttered, in an undertone to Quest. "'She roasted us nicely.' "'I mustn't stop to hear your story, Lenora,' Quest said. "'You're safe. That's the great thing.' "'Found her in an empty house,' French reported, "'out Grayson Avenue way. "'Now, Mr. Quest, I don't want to come the official over you too much.' but if you'll kindly remember that you're an escaped prisoner. There was a knock at the door. A young man entered in chauffeur's livery, with his head still bandaged. Quest motioned him to come in. I'll just repeat my story of that morning, French, Quest said. We went out to find MacDougall and succeeded, as you know. Just as I was starting for home, these two thugs set upon me. They nearly did me up. 
You know how I made my escape. They went off in my automobile and sold it in Bethel. I arrested them there myself this morning. Here's a sheriff who will bear out what I say. Also, that they arrived at the place in my automobile. Sure, the sheriff murmured. Further, Quest continued, there's my chauffeur. He knows exactly what time it was when the tire of my car blew out, just as we were starting for New York. It was 11.10, sir, the chauffeur declared. Mr. Quest and I both took out our watches to see if we could make New York by midday. Then one of those fellows hit me over the head, and I've been laid up ever since. A man who keeps a store a little way along the road picked me up and looked after me. Inspector French held out his hand. Mr. Quest, he said, I reckon we'll have to withdraw the case against you. No hard feelings, I hope. None at all, Quest replied promptly, taking his hand. That's all right, then, French declared. I've brought two more men with me. Perhaps, Mr. Sheriff, you wouldn't mind escorting your prisoners around the headquarters. I'll be there before long. And you girls, Quest insisted, go right to your room and rest. I'll come upstairs presently and have a talk. Look after her, Laura, he added, glancing a little anxiously at Lenora. She has had about as much as she can bear, I think. The two girls left the room. Quest stood upon the threshold, watching the sheriff and his prisoner leave the house. The former turned round to wave his adieu to them. "'There's an elderly josher out here,' he shouted. "'Seems to want to come in.' Quest leaned forward and saw the professor. "'Come right in, Mr. Ashley,' he invited. The professor promptly made his appearance. His coat was ill-brushed, and in place of a hat he was wearing a tweed cap, which had seen better days. His expression was almost pathetic. "'My dear Quest,' he exclaimed, as he wrung his hand, "'my heartiest congratulations. As you know, I always believed in your innocence. I am delighted that it has been proved.' "'Come in and sit down, Mr. Ashley,' Quest invited. "'You know the inspector.' The professor shook hands with French, and then, feeling that his appearance required some explanation, he took off his cap and looked at it ruefully. "'I'm aware,' he said, "'that this is not a becoming headgear. But I am lost, absolutely lost, without my servant. If you would earn my undying gratitude, Mr. Quest, you would clear up the mystery about Craig and restore him to me.' Quest was helping the inspector to the whiskey at the sideboard. He paused to light a cigar before he replied. "'I very much fear, Professor,' he observed, "'that you will never have Craig back again.' The professor sank wearily into an easy chair. "'I will take a little whiskey and one of your excellent cigars, Quest,' he said. "'I must ask you to bear with me if I seem upset. After more than twenty years of service from one, whom I have always treated as a friend, this sudden separation to a man of my age is somewhat trying. My small comforts are all interfered with. The business of my everyday life is completely upset. I do not allude, as you perceive, Mr. Quest, to the horrible suspicion you seem to have formed of Craig, 
My own theory is that you have simply frightened him to death. All the same, the inspector remarked thoughtfully, someone who is still at large committed those murders and stole those jewels. What is your theory about the jewels, Mr. Quest? I haven't had time to frame one yet, the criminologist replied. You've been keeping me too busy looking after myself. However, he added, it's time something was done. He took a magnifying glass from his pocket and examined very closely the whole front of the safe. No sign of fingerprints, he muttered. The person who opened it probably wore gloves. He fitted the combination and swung open the door. He stood there for a moment, speechless. Something in his attitude attracted the inspector's attention. "'What is it, Mr. Quest?' he asked eagerly. Quest drew a little breath. Exactly facing him in the spot where the jewels had been was a small black box. He brought it to the table and removed the lid. Inside was a sheet of paper, which he quickly unfolded. They all three read the few lines together. Pitted against the inherent cunning of the ages, you have no chance. I will take compassion upon you. Look in the right-hand drawer of your desk. Underneath appeared the signature of the hands. Quest moved like a dream to his cabinet and pulled open the right-hand drawer. He turned around and faced the other two men. In his hand was Mrs. Reinhold's necklace. End of chapter 7, part 2